Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the biggest story out there right now, well, Kanye's the biggest story out there right now, but don't make me talk anymore about Kanye. <sighs> I admit it. I admit it. I, I am playing this out in its most logical way about what he has said, what he's done, what he's doing, but there's no doubt that I'm disgusted by it. And as I was discussing earlier, you're going to sit there and, and tell me that, uh, that Hitler deserves my praise. I mean, that's Farrakhan talk. It's the problem is, is that, um, is that Kanye has much more, uh, cultural collateral than Louis Farrakhan ever had. And that's where this stuff can get dangerous. And this is why I'm talking so much about it. Cause normally I ignore these fools and these losers and these bigots. I make the statement when the subject comes up and I'm moving on. You can't ignore this. You can't ignore this bigot. You can't ignore this level of attack. Was he always like this? Is this all new to him? Is this something he's going to be apologizing for three months from now? Don't know. And he has proven to me I don't have to care. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, what's going on? What is happening? 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Find everything. TonyKatz.Locals.com. I only hope uh, that you do. TonyKatz.Locals.com. No, the big story is that the rail strike's been averted. That the Senate voted 80 to 15, a couple of abstentions there, to say, yes, the deal that they put together, that tentative deal that they put together back in September, that's the deal now. We're sorry that the unions can't figure out how to come together on this one. We're sorry that the rail work uh, owners aren't uh, doing X or providing Y, or, or, but this is the deal. And this is what we need because the nation needs to keep going forward. What the Senate voted against was the amendment on the sick days. And rightfully so. The whole purpose of adding the sick because sick days are, are part of this, right? You, the the rail workers aren't getting paid sick days, so if they're going to be sick, they have to get someone to fill a shift, uh, and and then they don't get paid. And they that this is an issue to them, and they want paid sick days. The Progressive Caucus said, "Well, of course they get seven paid sick days. How dare you not give people paid sick days?" And there's this this weird this it's and I think it's weird. I won't even lie. I think it's super, super, super weird that people are out there uh, saying that you deserve paid sick days. This was Pete Buttigieg. He was speaking to Jake Tapper, and he's like, uh, of course you should have paid sick days. Why would anybody think you shouldn't have paid sick days they start getting into one what i think is one of the ugliest conversations out there uh, that uh paid sick days should be a human right let me remind you the position of our administration is that every american worker 
ought to have paid leave, whether you're a railroad worker, a journalist, a federal government employee, uh, or whether you work at Burger King. We, we believe that every American worker, certainly every full-time American worker, ought to have paid leave. The president has proposed that. Uh, the president has advanced that in proposed legislation. And so far, uh, it has been unable to get past uh, what has been unified Senate Republican opposition. Rightfully so, because the government should not be dictating to companies that they have to provide anything. You choose where you work. And sometimes people will strike to try and get things going a little bit better for them. The idea that that we would think that it's a human right is so gross. The whole human rights thing is so despicable. So despicable. It's a human right, so government has to now force it on people. You have the right to your life. That's what you have the right to. And some people think you don't, and that's why you have to fight for it. You don't have a right. I was discussing this earlier today. You don't have a right to drinking water. You need drinking water. You don't have a right to it. You may have to do things to get it, like moving, like paying for it. You could argue, no, everybody should have access to drinking water. Yes, but not everybody has access to drinking water. Some people live in areas where drinking water is scarce. Some people don't take care of their drinking water. The idea that you have a right to it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's a nonsensical construct. It's not real. You can say to me that you believe it, but in the end, it's not. It isn't something that you, you get because of your existence. Your existence doesn't guarantee shelter either. Well, everyone should have shelter. What kind of house? Eight bedrooms with a hot tub and a pool, uh, maybe a ping pong table in the basement? What kind of shelter? A mud hut? What kind of shelter do you believe is a human right? And they can never answer the question, the people who scream human rights, what they know is it'll all work out if they can just take more money from you or somebody else and then put it to the thing they say is a human right. So everybody lives in these concrete stacks and done in this horrific, brutalist style. And it's three families to the 482 square feet because after all, all you need is housing. But they didn't say it would be nice. They didn't say you'd have privacy. You have no right to privacy, but somehow a right to housing with people you don't know crammed into quarters. And how dare you think you should want more? The government has provided for you. Now say thank you. This is what happens when you go down the road of human rights. This is what happens when you go down the road of human rights. You end up with horror. You end up with unfree people. The idea of human rights is not about freedom. The idea of human rights is about control. And if you ask me, uh, daddy's out. In this conversation, kittens, I am daddy. I am not interested in what someone like Pete Buttigieg or anybody on the left, anyone anywhere, says about human rights. I am interested in advocating for me. I'm interested in the ability to fight uh, those who want to uh, oppress. And I'm interested in sharing these ideas with others so they will go about fighting for what it is they believe is important. I believe that people have to do for themselves. And I believe that government is instituted amongst men 
and buys those men to take care of certain basics, including the enforcement of contract, including protecting a nation from invasion, to take care of those basic necessities and allow the people to do the rest for themselves. That's the freest society. Pete Buttigieg does not believe in the free society, nor does anybody who says the words human rights. There is a nature in nature's law. These things do exist, and I believe in them. The terminology of human rights is one of control, one of domination, one of subjugation. The government can tell you how many days off, how many paid days off. What else can the government tell the industry? What else can government tell the employer? What other levels of force can they use? Subjugation and domination. Count me out. Fun in the bedroom, not so fun in your government. My, my safe word is liberty. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So it's clear that the Colts need one more primetime game to show that they're not a very good football team. I want the best for them, but they're not a good team. And no, bringing in Coach Saturday didn't change anything. I'm not saying it can't. I'm saying it didn't. And the people who said, how dare you talk about Coach Saturday that way? What, could we please stop thinking that everybody's a savior just because they did something once? Building a football team isn't easy. This is what we know. Having a quarterback who can do the job, that's not easy. Just ask the Patriots. Got crushed by the Buffalo Bills 24-10. to 10. But yet somehow, Bill Belichick has at least built a 6-6 six and six team. Something about what he does and his system can actually provide a modicum of results even when you don't have Tom Brady. The Colts don't have Tom Brady. The Colts seemingly don't have anybody who can bring the ball down the field. And without that offense and without an offensive line that can actually get things open for Jonathan Taylor, what do you have? And Taylor's had two good games in a row. Just not enough. JMV joins us from 93.5, The Fan, taking a look at this Colts-Cowboys matchup that will take place uh, there on a Sunday night, 8.20 p.m. Uh, this does not look like a good matchup uh, for, for the shoe there, JMV. No, it's not uh, and for the audience either. And here's probably why I didn't get flexed out of this position is because Dallas has such a nationwide draw that they're probably going to get the numbers on NBC anyway, uh, even with the Colts playing at the level on which they are. But, Tony, you kind of look at this. You brought a couple of things up in the lead-in here. This is kind of a perfect storm, I think, for the Colts. And here's why I'm saying this. Dallas is so good coming off the edge and getting after the quarterback with Micah Parsons, for example, Demarcus Lawrence, for example. Uh, their defense really does hassle the quarterback. And there has been no quarterback, no offensive line that has been more hassled this season than what you have seen here in Indy. And coming off that Monday nighter, the offensive line actually in places played decently. Now, still huge mistakes, but, you know, Braden Smith was a guy that handled T.J. Watt. I think everybody was happy with that. 
But Matt Ryan still struggled. Matt Ryan's arm is a struggle. And I think this Cowboys defense is really going to put the hammer down on the Colts on Sunday night. You just hope it's not quite as embarrassing as that first half was on Monday night at home against Pittsburgh. But there's a lot, not a lot to offer for the Colts against the Cowboys on Sunday night, Tony. When we take a look at what this last week of practice has has been like, um, has has anything changed? Has there been a move made to the offensive line? Has there been a, uh, a thought about whether or not Ryan should be the starter, Matt Ryan should be the starter for this team, or is it, for them, business as usual? No, Tony, moves have not been made, but questions have been asked. And I'd ask this, especially after Monday, is – We've seen Sam Ellinger. All right, that's good. Uh, Nick Foles, or I should say, we see Matt Ryan, and that's not getting it done. And I I question why you wouldn't elevate Nick Foles. And I know that's not going to thrill anybody. And I'm not trying to find a thrill for anybody right now. I'm just trying to find somebody that maybe could get the ball down the field. And we have not seen Nick Foles where we have seen everybody else. And that question was asked earlier this week, and Jeff Saturday maintained that his guy was going to be – Matt Ryan. This is altogether going to be incredibly interesting, not just for this game on Sunday night, Tony, but for the remainder of the season. The evaluation that is going on, and we kind of sit here and talk about Jeff Saturday in terms of, well, he's going to prove himself, and, you know, is he going to do enough to be asked to be interviewed and be this head coach again? I think we also need to ask the question, Tony, is he going to want to do this after this stretch? At the end, is he going to want to come back and be the coach of this team, or is he going to say, hey, you know what? This bag is not for me. I think I'm going to either go back to TV or enjoy being with my family or whatever. So I maintain this. I don't know if we absolutely can call whether or not he does want to come back right now because outside of that Vegas game, there hadn't been a lot to ride home about. So to me, there are going to be a lot of decisions just beyond the player personnel down the stretch here that's going to lead this Colts team into the offseason and then into next year. Talking to JMV from 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. I mean, you're already talking about looking at, at the draft and, and, and what quarterbacks are there to pick up and then how much uh, rebuilding that's going uh, to to involve. But there have been got, teams that pick up quarterbacks in like uh, a year in. They're like, all right, we're good to go. Right in the season, they're, 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 they're solid to go. The picking a quarterback seems to be uh, a, a unique kind of art form, uh, much more uh, than just what's on paper, is Chris. Ballard, uh, the guy who can, well, decipher that art? I don't think so, but it doesn't really matter, I guess, what I think. I don't think. I think I've seen enough. Uh, you're going to go into year number seven, and you have backpedaled so significantly here that there's not a lot of hope. So I, I've seen enough. Now, as far as the quarterback situation is concerned, it, right now the way that it looks, I don't know how they're going to end up with all the teams in front of them that also need quarterback help, and they're going to draft it. I don't know how they're going to end up getting the guy that they want. And here's another significant question, Tony, we'll start playing around with as we go through this month of December here is whether or not Matt Ryan's going to be back for year number two. And I know it's easy to say, well, you don't want him back. Look how old he looks. Uh, look how inaccurate, inefficient, all of that. But what options are they going to have next year? And he might be a significant option. I mean, even if you do draft a quarterback, you still may keep him in that final year of his deal around here because that quarterback's not going to be ready to go. So it's funny, probably 50-50 for me right now, whereas people believe that Matt Ryan's going to be a one-and-done, not so fast. 
because I, there is a good chance, good opportunity, I think, that he may play out that second year of this deal here coming up next year, much to the chagrin of a lot of Colts fans. But I don't know what options, at least right now, as you're looking at this team moving forward, they may have at the quarterback position coming up this offseason. And then there's going to be a conversation about coaching. You already saw Sean Payton say, I want to be with uh, uh, the Chargers or the or the Cardinals. Uh, yeah. Colts, uh, the, the third C there, didn't come up at all. Um, <laughs> the opportunities against the Cowboys, wh- what are the bright spots? What is the game plan that works yeah. against this Cowboys team, which uh, the people over there at ESPN uh, say uh, the uh, Cowboys have an 88% chance of winning? Well, let me tell you, you started out right, is Jonathan Taylor. The Cowboys have not been as good against the run this season as they would like to be now. I would also tell you that they're getting better at it. They are getting better at it. You can see them rounding into, other than that Packer game, which was you know, mildly disappointing, if not more than that, I'm sure, for Cowboys fans. This has been a consistently good team, even through different quarterbacks of the Dak Prescott injury. You can see this team getting a lot better. But Jonathan Taylor, we'll see if he's going to be able to run the football at all because this Dallas defense has been giving up some yardage, but they are are getting better. So I, I guess if there is a glimmer of hope, that is it. And I'll give you another small reason why. This Colts team, for whatever reason, and we saw it against Kansas City, we have seen it in the past, they do step up against the better teams. They do step up against the better teams where we sit here and we talk about how they have absolutely no chance in the world. They are competitive. It seems like they're almost more competitive in those games than they are in some of the others. So if there's a glimmer of hope, it's the fact that they have played well in the past against some of the better teams in the NFL, maybe not to win, but certainly played that role, and that being able to run the football could be there against this Cowboys defense coming up on Sunday night. I'm incredibly doubtful. I don't think they're going to win this game whatsoever, but at the same time, a couple of reasons why that you may maintain a little bit of level of interest on Sunday night when the Colts go to Dallas. You know what I forgot to ask, JMV? You know what I forgot to ask him? Uh, what, what's your what's your take? What's your score? What's your uh, what do you what do you what do you predict? And I honestly, I'll put it in there. Uh, the Colts have proven they can't score more than seventeen points. I don't know why that's going to change. That's what they have in them. They have a, a touchdown, or they've got two touchdowns and a field goal, or they've got a touchdown and three field goals. This is what they have. This is what they have in them. That's it. So I don't know why it would be different. And looking at the levels of, in my view, porous this defense has has been, which is maybe a little bit unfair because of look at all the time they're now forced to be on the field because this offense is three and out, three and out, three and out. Or really, I, I think in that Steelers game, they did look kind of porous. At least in, at least in the first half, they 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 did. Uh, I another Steelers score twenty four seventeen would that make sense? Maybe not. Maybe twenty four twelve. I'm gonna go twenty four twelve. Oh, and I'm gonna hope like hell that I'm wrong. I'm gonna hope like hell the score is eighty four to six, eighty four to two. Somehow uh, the Cowboys got an errant safety. Um, twenty four twelve. I'm going with 24-12. That's my take. Uh, We'll find out soon enough. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.
pre-market was up and then the markets were down and now the markets are trying to come back flat, trying to make sense of what the heck just happened today. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, non-farm payrolls increased 263,000. The estimate was 200,000 and it was ADP just a couple of days ago that was saying that we were going to come under this by about 60 or 70,000 jobs, only proving that I'm not interested in listening to ADP. But how about the fact that hourly earnings are up 0.6% for the month, double the estimate, 5.1% annually versus 4.6%. You would think that this is an amazing number, but the market didn't respond that way. The wages don't keep up with inflation, but the White House keeps telling me that everything is fine and great, and this is all proof of a strong economy. This is the kind of moment that calls for bourbon. And Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Matt Will, W-I-L-L, Dr. Matt Will, on the Twitter box. Uh, You've had some time to go over these numbers. We keep unemployment at 3.7%. We see a labor force participation rate of 61.2%. And we beat expectations on the jobs. Dr. Will, I'm pouring the drinks. What the hell's happening? <laughs> well, first of all, I like how you put my name in the same uh, sentence as a bourbon, as if I'm going to be the one that's going to get you drunk, okay? Oh, sure. Um, well, I, I'm only hoping you will. Um, first of all, on the surface, this is a clone of last month. I mean, when you read the report, it says unchanged, 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 unchanged. This report is misleading, Tony. Everyone should ignore it. Throw it in the trash can. The stock market is wrong. It's go, it, the, the stock market is schizophrenic. It doesn't know what to do with this information. The headline in the Wall Street Journal is wrong when it talks about this report. CNBC and their, all their analysis is wrong. Tony, this is a very, very bad report, and let me tell you why. This report, we are 6 million jobs below pre-pandemic trajectory. Tony, we, if, if it weren't for the pandemic, we would have 6 million more jobs. So you must ignore this report. It's misleading. It doesn't tell us anything other than we're still 6 million jobs short. Here's the real story, Tony. We have massive recession indicators right now in this report and the report I saw yesterday from the PMI. These two reports tell me that there is a huge recession looming. I'm not a predictor, Tony, but I'm in predicting. And here's why. This report said that retail was down 30,000 jobs, Tony, 30,000 jobs. Cut me off if I'm going too long, okay? No, please, going too long. What are you talking about? Talking to Dr. (laughs) Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Before you start talking about those jobs, let me just give you this really quick. Here's the Wall Street Journal that you called out by name. Jobs growth, wage gains remain strong in November. So, yes, the Wall Street Journal is indeed touting this. You're saying they're all wrong. You're saying the markers say recession. And you start by noting that retail is down 30,000 jobs. Yes, Tony. The, the only anomaly in this report from last month is 30,000 jobs less in retail. What does that tell you? Well, Tony, you got to look somewhere else. I I say it all the time. My favorite report is the real-time industry report called the PMI. In that report issued yesterday, it says manufacturing is contracting new orders by retail stores. Tony, in Christmas season, in Christmas season, they're contracting employment in the retail establishment and manufacturing, according to this other report, contracting supplier deliveries, 
down. Inventories down. Prices. Tony, here's the curveball I'm going to throw you. Prices down two months in a row at manufacturing. And the, there is no back order of goods. There's no back order of goods, and prices are down. Ready? For, you want the curveball, Tony? I'm here for you. I think these are all indicators of a recession, and I think the Fed needs to stop tightening. I think the Fed has overreacted. I believe that all the data I'm looking at says that they've got recession, they've got inflation under control, and now they're causing a recession. Them plus Biden plus spending in Washington is causing a recession, and they need to pull back on the rate increases, and they need to let the economy begin to heal because we see inventories down, customer inventories down, prices declining. Hold on one second. Now let's take a breath. We have discussed repeatedly that um, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, has looked back in history at Paul Volcker in the days of Reagan, I believe, and said, yeah, I'm not going to make that mistake. The beatings will continue until morale improves, and we're going to send these interest rates up until the inflation stops. He's got that target on the federal funds rate of 46 to 4.8%, but he did just say this week, to which there was response from the markets to the up, that we're going to be reducing the size of the rate increases from three quarters of a point to a quarter point, even though there might be five of them in 20 2023, bringing us to 5% on the federal funds rate. So is it that quarter point is too high? Is it that 5% that kind of target is too high? And if you're advising, do you stop raising interest rates right now? You just leave it where it is? Tony, I would now, now you're now you're getting to a more difficult question. I would probably not do the, as big even as they're doing. I'd probably do a quarter point. I would probably go all the way down to a quarter point this month. And I'd probably do a quarter point next month, if anything at all, next month. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not by myself on this. You know, Jeremy Siegel has been saying this for a few months. Jeremy Siegel is a, a prestigious professor from Wharton School of Business, and I, and he has said the same thing. He he has more data than I have. I now see the same data he's looking at, and I agree. I think the chance of a recession is significant, and I think inflation is now much more under control. Not gone. Not gone, Tony. It's still in certain sectors, but it's much more under control. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. You talk about the um, the levels of, of supply and what's in uh, reserve and that the manufacturers aren't. Is it that they're not manufacturing enough? Enough. It was the orders. The orders aren't Both. there. And this is all signs that everybody is girding the loins, if you will, and gearing up for what they know is coming. But I have a market that doesn't respond that way and certainly doesn't look like they're acting like it's built in. And I have a White House that tells me I actually have the audio, I believe, from uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, who said... Uh, out loud uh, the the other day that their indicators do not show a, a recession. This is Corinne Jean-Pierre just earlier this week. And so now what we're seeing, and you've heard us talk about this, is we're seeing an economy uh, that's going into a transition to more stable and steady growth. Uh, so we do not foresee uh, a, a recession. The data that I just laid out that we have seen the last couple months uh, does not show uh, a recession. So are you lying or is Corinne Jean-Pierre lying? 
Well, let's just say her first name says it all. I'm cringing at what she has to say, Tony. This is totally <laughs> false, what she is having to say. It says the data we've laid out. Yeah, where is she cherry-picking this data from? I'm going down the list of an objective business report that came out yesterday that everyone follows. Contracting manufacturing, contracting new orders, shrinking inventories, no backlog of orders, Tony. I, I don't know what she's looking at, but the economy looks terrible right now, and it doesn't look all that good in the future. And by the way, just look at her one piece of data in her report she's bragging about. 30,000 jobs lost in retail. That's the only relevant piece of information in this report. 30,000 jobs lost in retail, Joni, Tony, when we're 6 million jobs short in this economy. Let me bring you to another number that kind of struck me because I went through some things about un- that the unemployment rate staying at 3.7% uh, and that in categories of adult men, adult women, teenagers, whites, blacks, Asians, Hispanics, there was little or no change month over month. That number kind of held true. But the the labor force participation rate is 62.1, and then it says, and the employment population ratio is 59.9, little changed uh, from from the month prior. I, I must tell you, uh, labor force participation, I pay attention to, and I'd love for you to explain it and what you think of the 62.1% number. What in the bloody world is the employment population ratio? It's, it's a similar number, Tony. It just uses different numbers in the same report to give you the same piece of information. You can track the employable percentage rate or you could park, track the participation rate. It's just apples and smaller apples. It's the same thing. You think, Just think of it as the exact same thing. They're, they are exactly the same. They use slightly different data to come up with a number. Talk to me about what you think of that labor force participation rate. Is that showing you an issue? Yes. Tony, this is why we're six million jobs short in the economy, because before the the great COVID hit, we were at 93 and a half. Now we're at 92. You think, oh, 1%. 1% on 330 million people? That's a lot of people, Tony. That's a lot of people. That rate should be much higher. It's still in the people. They're living off their savings. They're still living off those COVID dollars. And if you live in California, they're still paying you not to work. So, no, that number is bad, and that's a policy-driven number, Tony. The White House and the states drive that number, and they're paying you not to go to work when we have 6 million jobs short. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, we, we take a look at all of this, and we note that wages, and certainly this has been the conversation this week, wages are up, wages are up, wages are up, but wages have not gone up at the rate of inflation. They, they don't overcome the rate of inflation. So how do you say that we need to bring stop the raises on interest rates or make them much, much smaller? We have inflation under control when we can see these increase in wages, and it's still not enough to overcome the inflationary pressure. Exactly. Well, first of all, Tony, I'll go back to what I said. One, ignore this report. Second of all, you just said it. We've said it. We're six million jobs short. That's what's causing the wage pressure, Tony. That's the only thing that's causing it. Biden has nothing to brag about. We have six million jobs missing in this economy, and that's pulling up wages. We still have a labor shortage. That's all there is to it, Tony. These companies that are in recession mode already, you talk about them on your show, laying off thousands and thousands of people. But if there is a job out there, they still have to pay more to keep the person or hire the person because there's a shortage. You see the recession, ignore the jobs picture, Tony. I'll say it over and over again. It's misleading because we're 6 million jobs short. 
So what comes next if 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 you're a believer that the recession is impending? Do we see it? I mean, we, we always talk about the difference, the, the, the massive chasm between Wall Street and Midwest Main Street. We already know if, if I were to ask myself, where do I see it? I see it in how people are acting every single day. I see it in the fact that it's December and I still haven't booked a vacation because I'm absolutely fe- filled with fear, if you will, uh, about spending the money on a vacation when I might need the cash because Lord only knows what's coming down uh, the, the line. I don't see other people doing that, though. If the indicator is that people are hunkering down and people are holding on and I can show you examples of that, I can also show you that on Cyber Monday, people spent $11 billion. They got their record number. Now, that could be because things cost more, but they still got the $11 billion. So what is the indicator that people should be looking at in their daily lives of, okay, it's here, or should it be, Tony, go back to the report. The report's the proof. Tony, you said it, you said it very well. First of all, it's $11 billion because costs are up. So that's part one. Part two is what we've seen. If you look into some other data, people are spending money on credit cards and from their savings from the COVID money. So people are racking up records amounts of credit right now, debt. They're spending those savings dollars that they got from the government, which caused the inflation, and costs are higher. That is not a good formula, Tony. That scares me. And let me tell you, when you can talk about your vacation, you are justifiably concerned. Because now I don't know what your bosses are going to say. They may cut me off in thin air here for saying this, but when there's a recession hits, advertising is one of the first things to be cut. Now wait, that, the, no one's going to cut you off. I just want you to know it's absolutely <laughs> true, and it's the most ridiculous thing in the damn world. Exactly. When you when you're in a, when you're in tough times, you need more customers, not less. I always boggles my mind when the accounting department says we got to cut marketing. How, how do you cut yourself to profitability? I don't I understand. I have discussed that. that on the show, sir, so often. It's the craziest thing in the world. If you're able to advertise when other people can't, you're the one who will grow massively when things get better because they already know your name. Yep. That's yep. Look at that. Dr. Will and I, we started a marketing firm. And we're going <laughs> we're, we're, we're to help people uh, get through this. Um in your view, again, I know you're not a guy who predicts, but you've already started, so I might as well take you down the road. How long does it last? Oh, that, now that's a question I can't answer. You know, the, the 2008 recession, mortgage crisis, you know, I had my own radio show at the time at the university here, and I, I was calling this thing. I was saying, this is going to happen, people. Be careful. It's going to be terrible. I never would have guessed how big and how long it would have lasted, Tony. Um, I, I, that's, a, that's a tough call. That is a tough call. We could get into it another day about the contribution of crypto to the situation and the turmoil that it's causing and, and the, the mess that the federal government's going to make by calling it a security and regulating it. Oh, Tony, there's a lot of uh, landmines out there that can make this a terrible recession. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Sir, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. There is more coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. Just a little backup for Dr. Matt Will. Just just, just a little backup in case you think that uh, the economist from the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Matt Will, is, is off base on his conversations about the economy there. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Uh, what do you think of Peter Schiff uh, talking to Laura Ingram? Peter, without getting too wonky about inverted yield curves, uh, do, you, do you agree with uh, this fairly 
positive assessment? Well, I agree in a way. It's not like the 2008 recession or financial crisis. It's actually going to be much worse than that. Uh, this is just the beginning. I think we've been in a stealth recession all year. But I think the recession is going to get much worse in 2023. But what's also going to get a lot worse is inflation. Because one thing that's kept the lid on consumer prices in 2022 has been the strength of the dollar. But I think the dollar has lost uh, that strength. It had the worst month in 12 years in November. It's off to a horrible start in December. I think we're going to have a currency crisis in 2023, and that's going to fuel the inflation fire just as the unemployment rate is really spiking and this recession is kicking into a higher gear. So you can either have uh, what Dr. Matt Will sees or you can have it even worse. Uh, Peter Schiff used in my beginning days of radio Peter Schiff was a regular guest uh, of mine I should get him back always always an interesting cat I'm serious about this vacation stuff and about the spending I just I just cannot get myself not to hold on to cash as much as I can you tell me what you're doing find everything TonyCats.locals.com TonyCats.locals.com Monday everyone take care